Right. Please, turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah. The book of Micah. We are continuing our progress through the Minor Prophets, uh, which I have called, for want of a better name, Majoring on the Minors. So, Micah. We've looked at Hezek, uh, we've looked at Habakkuk, we've looked at Amos, we're going to have a look at Micah, a very interesting book and a very interesting person. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now you might open our hearts, open our eyes and open our minds to the wonderful things you have in your word. We ask that you might teach us from this book, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Micah. When was Micah around? Well, we're told in chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morisite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Okay. If any of those kings sort of, you know, ring a bell? Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah was a good guy. He's one of the few shining lights amongst the kings. And, and what's interesting is that Hezekiah, um, this, the things that are happening in the book of Micah doesn't sound like the reign of Hezekiah. And it's been suggested that this is why that it was partly due to the preaching of Micah that Hezekiah's reforms happened. That he was able to turn the people back to God because he had guys like Micah on his side preaching and prophesying to the people. That would put Micah at around about 735 to 700 B.C. Okay, that's, that's around about his time. You know, we, we sometimes think, and, and you know, we, we think, oh, look at how much Isaiah did. Look at that big book that he wrote. We look at a little guy like Micah and we think, well, he, you know, seven chapters? You know, Obadiah's got one chapter? You know, everything that these men did is not contained in that book. So Micah undoubtedly preached and prophesied for quite a long period. I mean, you, you, you have a look at it. From the reign of Jotham to Hezekiah, we're talking about 35 years. Okay? So he did good work. And the good work came and resolved in the fact that Hezekiah was able to reform the society and things got good for a while. So... Micah, one of the perhaps more successful prophets. Sometimes we think of prophets, wow man, they, they worked so hard, they did so much and nothing happened. Well, not with Micah. Uh, things were good around the time of Hezekiah and he, Micah perhaps gets, should get some of the credit. Micah is also fascinating because he's quoted three times. You go, oh yeah, you know, someone in the New Testament quotes Micah. Someone in the Old Testament quotes Micah. Really? Yeah. 
Grab your Bibles, have a look over in Jeremiah chapter 26. Jeremiah 26. Okay. Jeremiah 26. We'll start at verse 11. Then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man, they're talking about Jeremiah, is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as ye have heard in your ears. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that ye have heard. Now therefore amend your, your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as it seemeth good and meet to you. But know ye for certain that if you put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Okay, so they've grabbed Jeremiah and they've said to him, you shouldn't be saying these things. And uh, Jeremiah said, well, that's sort of tough because God told me to say it and I'm going to say it. And if you kill me for it, so be it. But be known, be known, be warned. I'm innocent. And, you know, bringing innocent blood upon a city is not a good thing. Then said, verse 16, Then said the princes and all the people unto the priests and to the prophets, This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Well, that's good that some people have stood up and they've said, You can't do anything to Jeremiah. He's spoken to us what God told him. Now, this is really interesting. Verse 17, then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake unto all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah the Moristhite prophesied in the days of Hezekiah king of Judah and spake unto all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be ploughed like a field and Jerusalem shall become heaps and the mountains of the house as high places in the forest did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and besought the Lord? And the Lord repented him of all the evil which he had pronounced against them? Thus we might procure great evil against our souls. So here we have Jeremiah, or rather Micah, being used as an example of a prophet that helped convert the people and Jer the people in Jeremiah's time saying, we can't prosecute or persecute Jeremiah because Micah said the same thing. He's actually quoted in another Old Testament book. Isn't that interesting? So those who would tell you that, oh, listen, you know, all this stuff was written by a bunch of crazed monks in the 4th century, you know, and, and none of it's... They, quote, they knew each other. They quoted each other. So Micah is quoted in the book of Jeremiah. He's actually also quoted twice in the New Testament. Twice in the New Testament. One we'll get to later. 
But the other one is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. We'll, and it's quoting from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, yeah, we'll look at it now. Look at it now, because it's, it's sort of interesting. So that's uh, Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Have a look at Matthew 10. And in Matthew 10, we have Jesus sending out the 12. Okay? In verse 33, it says... But whomsoever shall deny me before before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be those of his own household. That is a quote from Micah chapter 7, verse 6. It's usually not referred to. You have a look at it. We'll, we'll, we'll see it later on. That's a quote. He's not... Jesus wasn't right, saying something new. He was saying, no, no. What I'm telling you to have happen is prophesied in the Old Testament. In Micah chapter 10, verse 6. So there you go. That's a little bit about Micah. Now, Micah... And this is interesting... Sometimes prophets get divided into the ones that wrote and the ones that spoke. And, yeah, it's a bit of an artificial distinction. But I believe Micah primarily was a preacher. Okay? I think that what we have in the book of Micah was probably written down by his disciples or his students as they recorded his sermons. Okay? One of the reasons I believe this, and this gets interesting, and if you, those of you who, who know some of my interests will, will understand this, and that is Micah used words in funny ways. Not so much funny ha-ha, but almost. Micah loved word games and puns. Micah, you think you go? Micah loved puns. Oh yeah, he did. And I'm, I'm going to point out a couple of them just so we, we get an idea of the way he, he he did things. Right in Micah chapter one, verse ten, it says, "Declare it not at Gath, weep ye not at all in the house of Aphra, roll thyselves in the dust." The word gath in Hebrew is almost the same as the word tell. Right? What that means, in fact, a lot of scholars believe they actually came from the same word. What that means, he was saying, tell it not in tell. When he says declare it not, not in gath. He's saying, it sounds in Hebrew like he's saying, don't tell it in tell. Because he's saying declare it not in Gath. This may have almost been a um, 
like a proverb. Because David uses almost exactly the same expression uh, in Second uh, Samuel one twenty. Don't bother uh, turning there. But in Second Samuel chapter one verse twenty, when David is lamenting the death of Jonathan, he says, "Tell it not in Gath." And in Hebrew, it sounds like you're saying, "Tell it not in Tell." So that's not something you notice when you write. It's something when you hear it. Uh, another one that's, that's... And we'll leave it at, at, after this one. Um, verse 13 of chapter 1. O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. Okay. Now, I've been to Lachish. Okay. It's just a big hill now. Just nothing but a big hill. They're excavating bits of it, and you can see things in there. But Lachish is almost the same as the Hebrew word for chariot. So what he's saying is, people from Lachish, harness up the wreckish. See, they're very similar words, they rhyme. It's a bit like saying to a guy whose name is Ford, Ford, start the Chrysler. Right? It's a, it's a pun. It's a play on words that you don't get if you write it. You only get it if you hear it. So that's my opinion, is that Micah was a preacher. A preacher. So what did he preach? Micah preached about the kingdom. Micah preached about the kingdom. And the basic separation is that he preaches firstly about the need for the kingdom in the first three chapters he speaks about the need for the kingdom in the fourth chapter he preaches about the way the kingdom will come and then in the fifth chapter he tells us about the king of the kingdom so that's the basic analysis of it the need of the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom, and the king of the kingdom. And in the final chapter, he says, get ready for the kingdom. So, Micah, the need for the kingdom. It's a, there's a summary of it in Micah chapter 3, verse 11. So let's look, Micah chapter 3, verse 11. And it says... The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will, they le yet will they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No evil can come amongst us. This is his description of what Israel is like. He says, the heads, the government, the people who should be in charge, the people who should be doing justice, judge for reward. They're corrupt. It's, it's a, there's a saying, a few sayings that come to mind, you know, like a fish rots from the head down. If the government, if those in charge, if those who are in power are corrupt, how can you hope to have a decent society? You can't. Justice is perverted. You know, I, I remember Henry Lawson's words where he, he, in the poem 103, 
where he talks to about judges, he says, where drunkards in judgment upon drunkards do sit. Yeah. That's, that's the way. He, and, and I look and I go, oh, and look, some politician has been found being tired and emotional, you know, drunk, and yet telling us how to live. Justice is perverted. The justice system is skewed and corrupt. The political leadership has sold out of out the people for graft and a lust for power. Sound familiar? We're going through that piece of um, disgrace that they call an election. And you are going to see rampant, and I'm talking about all of them, a rampant bribery and lust for power which would put to shame these people that Micah preaches against. Open and greed and, and hypocrisy. You know, some, I remember one person saying that they were worried because their wife was spending money like a drunken sailor. And I said, no, you should worry in case she spends money like a sober politician. Because that's where you'll see it really wasted. They, they judge for reward. They're in it for what they can get. And it's wrong. And it's not justice. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire. The people who are supposed to be the moral guardians have become corrupt. They have no moral standards and they've become an absolute disgrace. Now, a few years ago, a work was done in Sydney. Do you know what a slumlord is? Right? A slumlord is somebody who has really, really low quality housing that they rent out to people who can't get housing anywhere else and they charge them exorbitantly for it. So it might be a person who can't get a deposit together for a house. It might be a person who has, you know, mental problems. It might be a person who has substance problems. And unable to get decent housing, they fall victim to these landlords, these unscrupulous landlords, who charge them exorbitant amounts for terrible housing. So they, the people of Sydney, they, they held a study and they said, who's the biggest slumlord in Sydney? And oh, I, can, I can see you going, oh yeah, um, uh, Rupert Murdoch. No, no, no. Kerry Packer. No, no, no. ANZ Bank, no, 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 no. The biggest slumlord in Sydney, according to this study, was the Church of England. And echoing through my mind comes the words from Matthew 23, verse 14, that says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses and for a pretext make long prayers. For you shall receive the greater damnation. Here it is. The 
The priests therefore teach for hire. Is there any reason, any, any doubt why Micah was saying, we need the kingdom? What happens next? Oh, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Oh yeah, they're still about. You still see them on, on TV. Yeah. I won't say who, but their initials are Joel Olstein. <laughs> the world desperately needs the kingdom. And those who should be the preachers of the kingdom, the prophets of the king, have become corrupt. Doing it for money. So sad. The world desperately needs the kingdom. The world needs God to take charge over these things. So we've established there's a need for the kingdom. I want to have a quick look at the characteristics of the kingdom. We look over in Micah chapter 4. Right. The characteristics of God's kingdom. Micah 4.1 But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the tops of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow into it. Now, the phrase a mountain. Mountains are used as uh, symbols of kingdoms. Okay? A mountain is used as a picture of a kingdom. You can... It's, you know what? You wondered why? Well, I, my guess is probably because cities and castles and things like that, where kings lived, were put on mountaintops. So it makes sort of sense when you think of it like that, that the, the symbol was a, was a mountain. It's the kingdom that God will set up will be the greatest kingdom ever. It will be established in the tops of the mountains. It shall be exalted above the hills above all the other kingdoms. We have a, a picture of that in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 verse 34 says it's the prophecy that it was given to uh, or the vision that was given under Nebuchadnezzar thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them into pieces and then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away and no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. What he's talking about there is a kingdom which shall rule and reign over the whole earth. That all the other kingdoms, all the other empires will be broken in pieces, swept away, and the stone cut without hands will become a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's a picture of a coming kingdom which will be the greatest kingdom ever. Verse 2 says, It will be a worldwide kingdom. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for the Lord, the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem 
Many nations will come. Now this, when we say a, a, a kingdom, but then how do you have other nations? Well, many empires, in fact, most empires were not universally one nation. Now think, think back um, to, for instance, the heyday of the British Empire. We're talking, say, about 1890, 1901, you know, the time of, of uh, Victoria's uh, Diamond Jubilee. What did the empire consist of? Well, there was Great Britain. Hang on. That's actually several countries. There's England, Scotland, Ireland, Northern, Northern Ireland and Wales. They're actually separate countries. <laughs> There's Great Britain. There was the Dominion of Canada. There was the new nation of Australia. There was the, uh, the, the nation of India. Right? These were nations within the empire. So it's quite possible to have a worldwide kingdom which has nations inside it. Okay, it's not, not, we're not confusing things here. During the time of the Roman Empire, there were a multitude of nations within the empire. These were kingdoms that served Rome. So, yeah, you can have nations and a worldwide kingdom. So we have the worldwide kingdom under the Lord Jesus Christ, but nations underneath him. And these nations shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. It is a worldwide kingdom. Zechariah. Uh, yeah, it is a worldwide kingdom. It is a peaceful kingdom. It is a peaceful kingdom. If you go to New, to New York, you go to the UN building, and there's a wall across from the UN building. And if you look out the windows of the UN building, you can see this wall down on the ground. And there's something being chiselled into the wall. And it reads, have a look at Micah chapter 3. And it reads, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. And where are we now? In the middle of a war. We, do, do you realise how short the periods of peace on earth have been? One man calculated that in the past 3,400 years, 3,400 years, there have been 268 years of peace. 268 years of peace in nearly 4,500 Since 1945 and the signing of the Japanese surrender at 
on Tokyo Bay on the Missouri, there have been 26 days of peace. 26 days where there was no war on earth. God is going to establish a peaceful kingdom. The, we're in the middle of one now. You know, you, you think, why can't man learn? Because people don't learn. The one thing we learn from history is that people never learn from history. So, it's going to be a great kingdom. It's going to be a worldwide kingdom. It's going to be a peaceful kingdom. It's going to be a prosperous kingdom. Verse 4, And they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Oh yeah. Figs. I got given figs. My next door neighbour. Fig trees grow fast. If you've ever planted a fig tree, you know how fast those things grow? And if you prune them right, you can sit under them. What's really nice is if you prune vines over a trellis, the grapes hang down underneath the trellis and you can sit there underneath and you can watch the grapes ripen. It's a sign of peace and prosperity that nobody steals your grapes or your figs. I remember a, a, uh, a couple, people from the old country and one of them asked did he like did they, did they like Australia and his comment was that he loved Australia he says Australia is a wonderful country he said in Australia I can plant things and grow them and the Cossacks don't come and steal it <laughs> a peaceful country that's all he wanted was a place where he wouldn't get a get his Stuff stolen by raiders. A peaceful, prosperous kingdom is coming. It's a protected kingdom. In verse 6, it says, In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven, and I will and her that I have afflicted, I will make her that, that halted a remnant, and her that was cast off a strong nation. It's a protected kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will make sure that his kingdom is protected from anything that would disturb it. Oh, do we need a kingdom? Oh, we do. A great kingdom, a worldwide kingdom, a peaceful kingdom, a prosperous kingdom, a protected kingdom. But getting there is going to be a painful kingdom. Verse 9 of chapter 4 says, And why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. It's painful, the coming of this kingdom. It's not going to be easy. It will take the power of God on high 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and his holy angels and the armies of heaven with him to bring in this kingdom. There were, before that kingdom happened, warning to Israel, there will be exile, persecution and suffering to make the people ready for the kingdom. It's going to be the kingdom of the great king. For we've seen it'll be a great kingdom, a worldwide kingdom, a peaceful kingdom, a prosperous kingdom, a protected kingdom, a painful kingdom. But remember, there's the prince of the kingdom. For it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though there be little amongst thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Does that sound familiar? Think back to last Christmas. You remember last Christmas? Matthew chapter 2. Back in Matthew again. Matthew chapter 2. Now, this is sort of interesting here. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now, I just had a, a sort of a, a mental image there. There's Herod gathering all the scribes and the wise men together. And the scribes and the wise men are gathered together and they're saying, oh, what's he going to ask? You remember what happened at Nebuchadnezzar in uh, the days of Daniel? Is he going to ask us something that we, we can't tell him? Yeah, this didn't end well last time. There were threats of execution and... and uh, you know, when, when a king gathers the wise men together, they better have an answer for him. And he says, where will the Christ be born? And they went, oh, oh, that's a relief. We thought you were going to ask something difficult. We thought you were going to give us a hard one. The answer is simple. In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and here they quote, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 For thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least amongst the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. There you go. There it is. The quote that everybody knows from Micah. Now it's interesting a couple of things there. It says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata. Did you know there was another Bethlehem? There was another little town called Bethlehem in Judah. And just to make sure they got the right one, they said, it's Bethlehem Ephrata, that Bethlehem, not the other Bethlehem. It's this one. Out of thee shall come forth he that is to be ruler in this whose going forth has been from old, from everlasting. You see, the child was born in Bethlehem, but the son 
was from everlasting. Jesus, as the man, was born in Bethlehem. But as the Son of God, he had existed forever. That's how you have a child born who is from old, from everlasting. We have the prince of the kingdom. So we have a land, a people, now we have a king. We've had the need of the kingdom. We've seen the, the, the characteristics of the kingdom, the prince of the kingdom. What about the people of the kingdom? What do we know about the people of this kingdom? Well, they need to be prepared people. Do you think that God is going to go to this much effort and prepare this much of a kingdom and just let any riffraff in? Not going to happen. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be a prepared people for the coming kingdom. In Micah chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with, with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for the transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You know, these are rhetorical questions because the answer to all of them is no. It won't work. It will not work. What then do I need to do to be ready for the kingdom? You see, we're told that in, Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it is not possible for the, bulls and, the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In verse 8, he says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. Hang, just hang on a minute there. You notice that? This isn't addressed just to Jews. This is addressed to everybody. Micah is saying, I'll tell you people what you need to do to get right with God. And what, doeth, what doth the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You think, oh yeah? Uh, do justly. And, uh, Sometimes, maybe, we just had a look at how just the world is right now. Um, to love mercy. Uh, yeah, that one's getting a bit tough. And to walk humbly with thy God. Oh, now he's really getting pointed. To walk humbly with God. Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can you walk humbly with God except you agree with Him? Will you agree with God? Because God says that the wages of sin is death. God says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Do you want to walk humbly with God and agree with Him? Well, you need to do something about 
the way you about your agreements with God. Now, Micah two four says, sorry, Micah four two back there it says, we shall walk in His paths. In Micah four two, we shall walk in His paths. It doesn't say that God walks in our paths. It says we shall walk in his paths. Yet so many people seem to be content to drag God, think they can drag God with them down whatever grubby little dirty alley they are walking with and he'll be fine with being there with us. No, he won't. If you're going to walk humbly with God before your God, you need clean hands and a clean heart. Clean hands is hard enough, but a clean heart, you need a new heart. You need a heart provided by the Son of God. You know, it's interesting there where it says, Will I give my firstborn, in verse 7, firstborn for the transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Do you realize that's exactly what God did? He gave his firstborn, his beloved, for the sin of our soul. You can do justice, but then is that merciful? It's a problem, you know. I, I, I remember, it's, it's something I said several times to, to Muslim guys I worked with. And I'd say to them, is God just? And they'd say, absolutely, Allah is just. I go, good, I agree with you. And I'd say, but is he merciful? And he said, oh yes, that's one of his names, Allah the merciful, the compassionate. And I said, but if he lets me into heaven, he's not just. And if he keeps me out, he's not merciful. How can he be just and merciful at the same time? And they were... They'd never sort of realised this, this problem. Let me tell you a story about somebody who understood this situation. Billy Graham was driving between... To, he did a lot of driving when he was young between towns to preach and he tells this story that he went through a little town in the south of America south of the United States and he was speeding and guess what you know, the, the Texas bubblegum lights came on and he was pulled over speeding now, in, in America, the, the speeding system, is it, it's different the way it works here. Right? There are two ways you can do it. You can pay it straight away, or you can come back and fight it in court. And he said, I don't want to come back to this little town in Bodunk, Texas. I'm, I'm going to be a thousand miles away. So he says, OK, I'll, I'll pay it now. And the sheriff said, look, what you've got to do You've got to come in, we actually put you up before one of the local judges, he pronounces the thing, makes the fine, you pay the fine, you're on your way. Okay. So he goes there and there's the, the town judge and 
the town judge sort of looks at him and says, uh, how do you plead? And Billy says, yeah, guilty. Hey, I did it. I can't deny it. I did it. And the judge said, was just about, and he went, Billy Graham, Reverend. And he looked and he said, you're the Billy Graham. He said, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is getting worse by the minute. He said, yeah, that's me. And he said, I heard you speak down in Mobile. It was awesome. I got such a blessing out of that. He said, I'd, I'd really like to let you off the fine, but I can't because you've pled guilty. And he said, took the gavel, whacked it down, he said, guilty, $50 fine. Now on your way, because I'll pay it myself. That's justice and mercy. God pronounces us guilty and then pays the penalty and that way he prepares us for being citizens of the kingdom. You know, that judge, I think, understood justice and mercy and probably how to walk humbly with his God. Do you want to be ready for the kingdom? Do you want to be one of the prepared people for the prepared kingdom? Then heed the call of the prophet Micah and do what is required of thee and get right with God. It says to do justly and to love mercy. You know why some people love mercy? Because they've been shown it. In the the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I think it works the other way around. I think it's blessed are those who obtained mercy, because they'll be able to show it. To have seen your sins forgiven and to have obtained mercy at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and to know that you are right with God prepares you for the kingdom and it gives you the ability to do justly and to love mercy. Micah chapter 7 verse 18. We have another one of those little word plays. Because the name Micah means who is like God. And in Micah chapter 7, 7 verse 18 it says, Who is a God like unto thee? That's a play on his own name. Who is a God like thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. 
He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast their sins into the depths of the sea. As far as from the east is from the west, God will separate you from your sin. He will, in mercy and kindness, pardon iniquity and pass by the transgression if, if you will get right with him, if you will walk in his ways, if you will realise you need to be saved and that you will then accept Jesus Christ as your saviour. For there is no other way. There is no other entry to the kingdom. The kingdom is a special place. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. And if the people aren't prepared, they're not coming in. There's a need, brethren, to be prepared. There's a need to walk in God's ways. There is a need to get saved. And it's a need that is right now. Because the king is coming. And the kingdom is coming. He's prepared it. He's organised it. He's, he's laid, laid it out. He's In Micah chapter 4, it's, it's like he's got the, the schematics ready and he's got the, the, uh, the, the blueprints prepared and he's got the, the action plan. You know, when you, you come into, a, uh, into an organisation and they go, this is the mission statement, this is the action plan, this is what we're going to do and we're just waiting for the chairman of the board to go, well, that's what we're like. The plan for the kingdom is here. The progress for the kingdom is prepared. The people of the kingdom need to be ready. Because any moment, the king is going to be back. And his kingdom is coming. And it's going to be a great and glorious and a wondrous place. And all that injustice and evil will be taken out. And prosperity and kindness and mercy will flow like water. It's a great and a glorious time. And to be honest, I can't wait. You know, I, I, I used to think sometimes, oh, I've got so much to do before God comes back. And now it's a case of, now, nah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Anytime you are, Lord, that's, that's cool with me. Just, just you know, push the, push the button. That, oh, I'm done. <laughs> the, the king is coming and the kingdom is prepared. Are you ready for the kingdom. If not, today, today, right now, accept Christ as your Saviour and be prepared for the kingdom because it's going to be a great one. It's going to be awesome. And me, I can't wait to see it all happen in front of me. Thank you.